It's the season seven finale of modern day philosophers. That's right. The season seven finale. What's up, everybody? We made it. It's the season seven finale of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm excited. I'm Danny Lobel. I host this show. And today's episode is with special guest Bobcat Goldthwaite, the incredible Bobcat Goldthwaite, who, according to Logan, who masters the audio, since episode one, Logan Heftel, the very best at, at audio. If you ever need anything, look him up. And he's also an incredibly talented musician. Uh, Logan said that he's heard a lot of interviews with Bobcat and nothing is quite like this one. He said we really have something special. And I believe him. I also felt that it was very special and I'm very grateful to Bobcat for doing it. We have some sponsors, some incredible sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Stand Up Records. Here's a word from them. Warning. Last year, over 40,000 Americans died in car-related accidents. Not a pleasant thought, is it? In fact, as thoughts go, it's downright depressing. Well, that's where we can help cheer you up. We're StandUpRecords.com, and we offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, downloads, and merchandise from the best comedians on Earth. Artists like Mark Marin, Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, and Doug Stanhope. Available at fine record stores, Amazon.com, and the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. Come on, listen to us while you're driving. Live dangerously. StandUp Records, the very best. The very, very best in comedy. CDs, albums, vinyls, digital downloads. Check out StandUpRecords.com. My new album should be out shortly. It's now uh, got a title. It's called Danny LaBelle, the Nicest Boy in Barcelona. And we recorded it in Barcelona. And God willing, that will be out within a month. So by uh, the beginning of season eight, I should be able to direct you to a link. So that will be good. And I look forward to hopefully you guys supporting it and picking up the new album. But in the meantime, go pick up some great stuff from Stand Up Records. And today's episode is also brought to you by Renovatio Enterprises. Do you have bad credit? Well, guess what? They fixed my credit and they can fix yours as well. There is no cost, no obligation analysis to determine exactly what is holding your scores down. Other than a $250 deposit, you don't pay for anything until the negative item or items get removed. And they will get you over a 700 credit score in as little as 30 days. They can get you qualified for a new credit card or an unsecured personal loan. You go to renovacioenterprises.com. That's R-E-N-O-V-A-T-I-O enterprises.com or call them at 888-443-2908. 888-443-2908. RenovacioEnterprises.com. They will fix your credit. They did incredible, incredible work for me. I guarantee you, I promise you, they're awesome. Check them out. All right, everybody, without further ado, except for the intro song, I bring you my talk with the wonderful Bobcat Goldthwait. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome. To modern day philosophers. Modern day philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern day philosophers. 
got Bobcat in the studio. That's fun. It's exciting to have I'm, you here. I'm in the house. I'm actually in the house. You're in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in the apartment. I can keep showing you the, the... Yeah, you got a lot of stuff here. I had a comedy magazine in, in the early 2000s, and that was that was the magazine. I'm looking at the picture of Marin. And we spelled his name wrong on the cover, which I think... <laughs> we put it with a K. Yeah, you did. But I think we might have been like the first ones to put him on a cover of a magazine, too. So it was bittersweet? Yeah, he never he never brought it up. In fact, it took years till till he blew up, and then I started. That he realized the that his name was misspelled. Yeah, I remember the Boston Comedy Festival gave me a really hard time about putting him on there, and I'm like, but he's a Boston guy. <laughs> They're like, nobody knows who he is. <laughs> Nobody's gonna pick up this magazine. We're sponsoring this thing. I'm like, but he's really funny. They're like, it's not about that. <laughs> Who do they want on the cover? Anyone more famous. They didn't care. They're like, just they, they want Lenny Clark? <laughs> they would have gone for probably Lenny Clark. They, I remember they said to me, like... I'm trying to think of who was more famous in Boston then. The guy was cool from the Boston Comedy Festival, uh, but he was like, listen, I get it. I'm into comedy too. But nobody knows who this guy is. I get it. Just pick somebody else for a cover. I'm like, I already told Mark. Well, well, the He's first time the I met uh, Eugene Merman was he was he interviewed me for uh, something a paper or something or maybe school he went to Am I mean he went to uh, 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 Hampshire College uh -huh. and, and so yeah so he was a Cub reporter when I met him <laughs> he had a fedora on and it said press no. Uh, <laughs> Now I remember I, I did the interview already. I was there was no way I was going back to Mark Marin and saying I'm sorry, I'm not putting you on the cover after I said that. I just had to fight for it. Well, that's good. Now does he? How about what's your relationship now with him? We'll do this interview good. as if it is a WTF. <laughs> I did WTF, so it's we a, all yeah, good. It, it, we're good. We're good. We're good. All right. So uh, I know absolutely nothing about uh, philosophy outside of um. Anything that could be boiled down to a bumper sticker. So, right. Whoever wrote um, well, "Ask Grass or Gas, No One Rides for Free" might be my uh, biggest philosophy inspiration. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to be as shallow as possible in life. This is not. Uh, I think I do actually have philosophies in my life. I I, I often, uh, you know, I I truly believe that. Um, it's important to quit a lot in life, you know. I think I think you should quit until you end up someplace where you don't want to leave, you know. And and I've done that in my career. I've quit uh, a lot actually. And it's funny. I didn't realize it until recently that I keep quitting. I didn't realize that. It was pointed out by my roommates, you know. And I I always jokingly say, you know, fifty three with roommates, it's really coming together. So do you really want to listen to this guy's <laughs> philosophies on life? But I will say, um. I'm way happier than I ever have been in life. And I don't know if it's because of any um, ways I've decided to live my life at this age or if it's simply just testosterone fleeing my body. But I do know that I'm way less angry. I do know that I've never been more productive as, as somebody who who tells stories. So mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm on stage on the road and I'm doing my act and I'm like going, well, I'm doing a lot of old bits and... And then I think of like when I ego surf on the internet and someone will say something snarky about that. Maybe I did some stories before or old, old material. And then I thought, but you know, I've also written a few screenplays and made a few movies in between right. the, the last time I was in your town. So, so the true, granted, I probably don't have the freshest nightclub act, but I do, I, I do, I am a little more productive, I think, than, um, than people would think I am. 
Yeah, and uh, the people who write the comments are probably not doing anything. Yeah, which is really, it's not even like you could say, oh, who are these people? But but sometimes when you go down a rabbit hole and you look at somebody who, who writes really well <laughs> character assassination, like a lot of the guys who write comments like on, on the AV squad, they're very funny and they're sharp and some of them are very articulate and they're very well-crafted and you just want to go, well, maybe that's how, that is their form. Maybe that is their outlet creatively. Because part of me wants to go, I don't have that kind of time to write that kind of thesis on um, on a television <laughs> program that I watch. Why not, you know, you could you could write a television program in that same that same amount of time and energy. Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like, they, they, they like, dig through all these old TV shows. Right. And, and I can't even get through the article. Like, I, I like to, like... <laughs> think that I'm I'm like oh I can this is exciting this speaks to me and like yeah. one paragraph into it I'm like I just remember I liked it yeah <laughs> I remember I laughed you know <laughs> I don't know uh, the advent of the digital age has changed the way comedy is perceived where it used to be there's a handful of gatekeepers you know people you get on the tonight show and that would change your career or young comedians on HBO or maybe Letterman or Evening at the Improv or whatever, but there wasn't very many gatekeepers. And now with podcasts and and YouTube and things like that, folks can make their own products and get their own audience. But the, the weird part is, is that one of the things that came up, and I'm all for that. I love the idea that, that people don't have to be mainstream anymore to have success um, as a comedian but the this new thing that cropped up is uh, there's a lot of people that treat comedy like it's sports now so now there's like people who top 10 funniest guys ever right. or, or you know and it's like well, what are you doing this is it's it's allegedly an art form don't don't diminish it and and make it uh, you know, top, you know, or that guy's a professional. Like that's the most insulting thing anyone I think could ever say to me is about it, any job I do it, as a director, a writer, as a comedian. Is that you're a professional? Yeah, that's insulting to me because <laughs> that means that there is absolutely no craft, right. art, inspiration, or anything to your act outside of just trying to please and uh to you know you're good at your profession you're good at to be a professional comedian uh, i mean i'm already getting paid jokes and- yeah yeah he's a professional he did so great he didn't you know he didn't he didn't read from notes on stage <laughs> you know i saw carlin a bunch over the years, and I don't remember ever seeing George Carlin without notes on stage. Mm-hmm. So what you guys say, George Carlin's not a professional because he he read, he read notes. Very unprofessional. Yeah, um, George Carlin was very unprofessional. <laughs> I remember he, he talked about the comics he didn't like as suit and tie nice guys. I always thought that was like such a nice ring to that. Like, yeah, suit and tie nice guys. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, when I, I was a little past that. So when I was a kid, it was sweater comedians. Uh-huh. You know, that was what we rebelled against, sweater comedians, guys who went up in sweaters and uh, talked about datings and, and things that not only did it not interest me, I, 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 I you know, it was... By the t- I was such a comedy nerd when I was a little boy. It's funny that I find I find adult comedy nerds frustrating. I was such a comedy nerd when I was a boy that by the time I became an adult, I no longer wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I kind of wanted to make fun of the craft. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you did. I did. And then later on in life, I became the very thing I was making fun of. Because, <laughs> you know, now I'm a storyteller when I tell, do stand-up. Well, do you still want to go back to that guy sometimes? No. You know, I think I get to... to Tom Kenny was saying, my friend Tom Kenny, um, you know, he, he said that I used to... People didn't know what they were going to see when they saw me because I was new or they had no expectations. So I could flip them out by by doing weird things and whatever I wanted to do on stage. And then once there was an expectation that that was what was going to happen, I guess for me now the biggest way to freak people out is going up as myself. Mm-hmm. But but that's why I make movies because because then the expectation every time you make a movie is 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 limitless, you know. So 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 that's why I really enjoy making movies. He said it made sense that I went on to to go on and make movies. It's just curveballs. You like throwing these curveballs pretty much. I do, but I don't. I don't really think of the audience as much as myself. I, I like to see if I can tell these stories. That's, and of course, part of telling a story is you have to connect with an audience. But I don't really connect with a, a major audience. I, I connect with um, a, a, a tiny audience and and, and and film festivals. That's 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 where I see my movies with people. My <laughs> movies make hundreds of dollars. Well, that's good. It's, it's <laughs> no, more than I, a lot of them. Yeah, and it doesn't bother me. I. You know, I have such disdain for so much things that are popular in pop culture that that I would rather not be. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's the position you've always taken. That seems like... Yeah. I think I've spent too much of my time making stuff and doing what I was interested in and not a lot of time really being too concerned with how I was perceived by people. Is that a mistake? I think in history, I won't be remembered as anybody that, you know, I mean, and, and that's okay. But I mean, sadly, there's been so many deaths lately in show business. I, I do realize that I'll be remembered for the guy who was in Police Academy, even no matter how many more movies I make, you know, and, and that's okay. Because I know my friends and family will remember, remember me, hopefully, in the way I'd like to be remembered. Yeah. How important is it to you? That you'd be remembered still. I mean, it's 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 not because I know it's not un, un, unachievable that that there's nothing I can do that's going to erase uh, being in three police academy movies from from everybody's mind. Yeah. Do you do you wish you could not be in them? Do you? Do you no, think? because everything I did ended up making me who I am. So, right. So so I don't regret them. Well, let's say you could still be who you were. Who you are now? But uh, I could be a guy making small movies and doing stand up to pay my rent. Uh, yeah, I would not do them. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. But what about all the people? But I mean, that... Bill Murray says the, is the same thing. Actually, you know, he says that if you want to be rich and famous, try to figure out a way just to be rich. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so so you know. Um, and his body of work is way less embarrassing than mine. I'm I'm surprised that you're embarrassed by it, really. Well, I'm not embarrassed as much as um, I spent so much of my life and time discussing it that I, it becomes uh, a lot like, especially on the road, it's a lot like Groundhog Day, you uh-huh. know. So so I go out and do press, and it's people asking me and talking to me all about these movies I made 30 years ago. And, and um, 
And I get it. I understand that's how they know me and stuff. But it's probably healthy. It's kind of funny. You know, the last movie I made, um, well, won nine awards. I just, you know, at various film festivals. I just got one this morning oh, <laughs> in the mail. But yeah. So it was very nice. But, um, you know, my ex-wife used to say, when I would talk like this, she would say that my diamond shoes were too tight. You know, these are really mm-hmm. great problems to have. Um, I'm I'm fortunate enough that I, I've I've had a second career. You know, most people don't get the opportunity to um, to go on and, and make movies and direct television and do all that. You know, they just they just um, you know the thing about show business they don't they don't. It would be nice if you just got fired. <laughs> It'd be much cleaner if they just said, you're fired. No, we're done with you. But they don't. They say, they just go, you're you're not going to make as much money and you're not going to be as well known, but we're going to put you on, um, this year we're going to put you on Hollywood Squares and you're going to do the voice of a talking puppet. Sometimes I get the feeling I was never hired. I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. worse. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's why <laughs> I, my diamond shoes are too you, tight. You were never fired and yeah. I was never hired. Yeah. It probably feels about the same. It's probably the same. But, you know, and often when I'm on the road, there'll be young comedians in the dressing room and they'll, they'll ask me, they go, you know, do you have any advice? I go, we're on the same show, man. <laughs> we're, we're both sitting backstage at Morty's uh, in a Mexican restaurant. You know, we're, I, you know. Uh, what do I have? Do I have any advice? Don't do any talking horse movies. No. Um, <laughs> actually, it's funny. I do find myself doling out advice now, and I don't know if people take it serious because I'm old or it's funny that they'll actually, they pretend to be listening. I don't know if they uh-huh. listen to it, but they, they do <laughs> pretend they're listening. Do you ever hit them with advice that you're like, oh, man, I, you t- tell them something you didn't even realize you knew? No, but sometimes, you know, it's funny. I just got advice from from old friends, uh, Tim Kazarinski, oddly enough, who was in Police Academy. So I would do those movies because I'm glad I met Tim. But I I currently have like a, a few different things that I can possibly do, which is new for me. It's usually I, I make a movie and I go scramble to go make the next one. And um, he was really smart. He said, if you could only do one, which one would you do? And then it made it really clear on which one I should spend my energy trying to get going. I feel like so many times I, I talk to comics and I've done it myself where you just kind of almost, you're living for the memory that you want to leave almost. Well, I don't know if that's true in most comics, but I, I know that um, there's, a you know, uh, Barry Crimmins, I made the documentary about Call Me Lucky. You know, he always says play for the ages, not for the time. Um, but... You know, I mean that that it is absurd to want to be remembered uh, because because you you are powerless over the the way you will be remembered. So so to try to control that would be ridiculous. I think I disagree with him nowadays. I think play it for the time. I think now is the only thing that matters. Yeah, basically, you know, you're in that room, and if you can make a dent, um, or you know, it's not like you have to go up there. And blow people away with, with uh, some sort of scathing take on society or politics or, or or personal relationships. It's basically if you can go up there and connect with people by 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 giving them a something private 
something unique, something personal. You know, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And also just because it doesn't matter if you're remembered. You're dead. <laughs> there is that too. Do I care what a bunch of people who are now dead would think about me? Right. Probably not. No. Because those people are dead and they're they're done with. Yeah. So why do I care about people who are around when I'm dead? Well, it's it's the the part of our brain that when we're a kid you you when you realize that you're not going to live forever, you bum out. And then when you realize you, and the next thing is you realize your parents are going to die, you bum out about that. So there's the god part of our brain where some folks say that's god is created in this part of our brain where we are trying to justify things we can't answer or justify where we go when we die. Mm -hmm. So uh, the God part of a comedian or an artist's brain is trying to, might say, well, there's no heaven, but I'll live on forever by my work, uh -huh. which is absurd. It's just a chasing of immortality one, yeah. way, or, but one way or another. Do you ever really care about what, what nine-year-olds think of you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I do because... That's who I'm speaking to every night right. when I play a comedy club. <laughs> I'm I'm talking to people who have their nine-year-old memory of me. Right. So I talk to the nine-year-olds every night. Because they always show me how tall they were. They always go, I was this big when I watched you. I don't know why uh -huh. they always have to tell me how tall they were. <laughs> I, but they do. You ever act really impressed by how they've I, grown? I, how tall? <laughs> wow, you really <laughs> shot up. That's a, you must have eaten your vegetables. <laughs> You're kidding. You were that short? Wait, wait, no, wait. Because usually, you know, when you forget about me, you're going to be about three inches shorter. Because when the dementia <laughs> hits, you're going to lose some height. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing, by the way. You create the perfect memory of yourself in these people's heads, and then they all get dementia anyway. Yeah, that's true. So. Best case. Best case. <laughs> if they don't just drop dead. It does sound, um, we sound very fatalistic, but creating in that moment on stage or that new painting or screenplay or song you're you're giving the middle finger to death you know even if you're making nihilistic art you're still showing up you're still trying to connect so i guess at the end of the day you know for me i don't i don't know if i believe in a god or a higher power but i do believe in the the the, the power of storytelling which you know there's these certain formulas and if i get them right someone across the world can look at the story I made and it can affect them in their brain in a way where they feel things. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty... That's huge. That's crazy if you think about it. The yep. people in Japan will watch God Bless America and laugh. It's, it's insane. That's cr I can't even wrap my brain around that. Mm -hmm. Or when I go to Europe with my, my, my movies, um, you know, it's... <laughs> It's funny. I mean, it's easy. For, it is funny that like my my movies are are, are better received in in other countries. <laughs> so I'm I'm the. It new, makes you a real artist. Yeah, I'm the new Jerry Lewis or yeah. or Sam Fuller. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go live in Paris or something. But yeah, but yeah, that's that that that's not me bragging. That's that means a you're funny doing thing. art. You know, if they don't I, like I it guess here. yeah, they don't like me here. But uh, yeah. Do you ever look at an audience and try and single out people and say, who in this audience am I trying to impress? Well, yeah, you know, I try not to because, um, you know, there's. I just did a video with a, a man who's very beautiful and he dresses as a woman. 
I don't know how he identifies. He just identifies as a gay man. He doesn't identify as a drag queen or trans. But I did. I put him in a video with a pop star, uh, not pop star, but a, a valid singer. And the video was shocking in the fact that I just played that character as a normal person with a normal relationship. So it the result was some people found it shocking. And it's not. But I ran into a guy this weekend who I would have dismissed if I judged him from the stage. Mm-hmm. He had like a he had like a uh he had a Cubbies baseball hat on and all this and then he came up to me and he said that was really great video. Like he liked that. So so you can never tell yeah. who, who you're gonna connect with, you know. It's surprising. It you can't. You can't you can't. You never know. You know, you can't, You it just will, it'll always backfire. I, w- I think it's interesting that for a long time, your act kind of like hid who you were. Yeah. And then you got ultimately frustrated that people didn't know who you were. And uh, you wound up being misrepresented. But the weird part is, is I don't promote the new me, which is strange. Like I don't promote, like I don't go on talk shows. I don't do a podcast. I don't do the things even though i've changed who i am on stage it's still kind of a secret i i i I mean i really think in a weird way if it was up to me at this point in my career i would not be in front of the mic i would not be only it is up to you i mean i would well i mean i i'm 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 up on stage sometimes for fun so that's not true i do enjoy that like when i host crab apples with Caitlin Gill, my friend. But when I when I'm on the road, I, I do a lot of stand up to pay my bills so I can keep making movies. You know, I I make a I make a living so I can make movies. I don't make a living making movies. I thought it was really interesting when I was preparing for this interview. I'm like, oh I love Bobcat. And then I realized I don't even know who Bobcat is. <laughs> That's, and then I thought, well, I guess the most I know about him is from the Crab Apple show yeah. that you were talking about that yeah. you do at the Improv, uh, and you did my show, Bookshelf at the Improv. And then I, I watched a bunch of interviews with you, and most of them were about you talking about Robin Williams passing away. Right. I mean, that was what defined me in the past few years. Um, initially, when he died, I didn't discuss it at all. And now I find myself talking about it, partially because he died from Lewy body dementia, which was misdiagnosed as Parkinson's, uh, which was something even that he kept secret. But um, and I like to talk about I don't enjoy talking about it, but I like it to be out there so people don't think he died from depression or drugs. Or You're protecting his memory. Yeah, I am protecting his memory because he he was a fighter, you know, and he. He he fought with this dementia, uh, you know, and 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 I don't mean to d- diminish, um, you know, people die from depression and it's a very serious thing. But I I just want people to know that 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 that's not we, he had a disease that uh, that's very fatal, anyways. Um, d- despite him taking his own life, but he was getting misinformation from his own head. You know, towards the end, he got very quiet. And I was talking to his widow, and I said, "Do you think he was 
you know, what do you think that was about? And we both kind of thought that it, it was because he was getting facts that weren't right and, and he knew they weren't right. So he, he kind of stopped even talking too much, you know, that's, that's what she and I believe. But, you know, now I'm just still processing all of it to, to have someone pass away, have someone pass away who connected with so many people and, and, and perpetuated a, a, a personality that was part of him, but wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't the the Rob and I, my relationship with you guys were like two two real people in hiding, and, and yeah. the whole world knew these like fake versions yeah. of you guys. Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. And, and if you heard us talking, you would go, "Those are the most boring guys." Of <laughs> when, you know, that is really true, and maybe that's why we clicked and we're such good friends. You know, we both had these personas that we perpetuated to protect ourselves from 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 people knowing who we really were so it one thing that strikes me talking to you about all this is is that you seem like a very vulnerable guy and i'm not surprised by it but your your act that everybody very knows aggressive you from, it's it, it, so aggressive yeah. and it's so like and even now sometimes like the last week when i was at crab apples i was really nasty i must have been feeling scared or something but yeah it's it's how i kept people away and and i and i think robin was even more vulnerable than myself um so but he always seemed like a very sweet sensitive guy he under, was really sweet yeah. and really sensitive and you know he was very uh uh He's, he he was good at keep, keeping a distance with people by 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 giving them what they wanted, which might be to perform or 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 whatever. But 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 yeah, we we both did a really good job of 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 kind of hiding who we are. You ever think about why? Um. I, I can't speak for him. I mean, because I'm insecure, you know, like all the people, you know, I think, I think the idea of, and I think that's part of why I was destructive for so long because, you know, as a younger man, I was given opportunities to probably really put myself out there and I didn't have the tools. So it'd be, it's easier to, to tell the president of a network or studio to go cram it than it is to mm -hmm. create in, and say, well, this is me. This is how I see the world. So, you know, that's the phase I'm at now. And and the movies that I make are, are, well, they're all different kinds. But often they're they're simple in some ways. They're very like fables. They're not accurate slices of life. Um. But, but, but that's. I mean, that's 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 kind of how I see the world. I'm always trying to figure out at the end of the day. There's so many under, there's so many uh, preconceived truths that we live in, and I'm I'm always interested in in exploring. There's always an exception to all these rules. Yeah, and that's why that's what interests me in making movies. All my movies, at the end of the day, are usually about trying to find some sort of truth, and um, I think that's kind of weird because. Uh, uh, I'll look at other filmmakers, and that's not what their body of work is about. I'm not saying mine's mm -hmm. better or worse, but it's interesting. You know? Why is it weird to you? I I don't know why that's what I'm obsessed with as a storyteller. You know, I think when you were a kid and you found out that the 
there was no Santa Claus or whatever. You know, you, 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 I yeah. was I took that really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's what my whole body of work is based on. I'm yeah. still mad that everybody was lying. Well, it seems like you're more fearless now than you were when you seemed fearless. Yeah, that's true. It's funny because it's different. That before it was like, "F you, I don't care," and destruction. And now it's 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 the um, it's me really making these movies and things that are challenging for people. But I'm not trying to piss them off. I'm just you know looking for the other star belly sneeches, the other people that see the world the way I do. Mm-hmm. I like that star belly <laughs> speech. Man, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, when it, when you came in, I was, after watching, going back to my original thing, I was watching all these things where you talk about Robin. I'm like, okay, but he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Robin. And then I was watching a lot of you, and I'm like, well, he's not really talking about himself there. Uh, he's He's just something else. <laughs> And then I'm like, he's not even really Bobcat. He's Robbie. Like, in, in a, I'm like, I want to talk to Robbie. Like, like, you know, but you're Bobcat, but you're Rob, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's very, uh, yeah, I get very squirrely, you know, for, um, yeah. You know, I tell, I'm fairly decent at telling stories, but uh, only sometimes I get to where I'll let people all the way in. Yeah. It's scary. Well, it's good. You're taking steps towards it. I'm excited to see like what kind of art is going to come what out of it. What happens? Well, yeah. Uh, or, <laughs> or I'll get hit by a bus. <laughs> and then we'll remember you as the police yeah. academy. Yeah, the police academy, dude. It's come full circle. All right. Should we get into the philosopher? Yes, we should. All right. The guy that Alex picked out for you, I wonder if it's pronounced Jorge or George. It's J-O-R-J-E. I'm going to go Jorge. You're going to go Jorge with okay. it? Okay. By the way, I don't know if I told you. I don't look at any of this until okay. you do, because sure. otherwise I come in with an upper hand. So it's Jorge Francisco Isidoro Luis Borges. I've heard of Borges. I think I think this is like a way longer way of just saying Borges. Have you heard of Borges? No. I'm, I'm... I've heard the name, but I, I don't mm. know the context. All right. Let's hear um, so Alex writes, Bobcat lit the Tonight Show on fire, so I picked a philosopher who talks about hell. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But by the way, what, what, where were you in your head at that point? <laughs> Which part of hell? <laughs> I was uh, very destructive and uh, running on fear, and uh, I got really frustrated with the fact that I could go on a talk show and I would do very well, but it wasn't changing where I was. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, well... I don't want to be on these shows anymore. And I was slightly influenced by Kaufman and oddly enough, Prince. I remember Prince is setting a guitar on fire. I mean, I know Hendrix did it, but I saw Prince set uh, not a guitar. I think he set his contracts on fire on a talk show. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll start a fire. So nobody <laughs> knew you were going to do it. When no, you- no, they were really <laughs> upset. They were, <laughs> they were really upset. But I did tell my buddy, I said, stand by the fire extinguisher in case this thing goes out of hand. <laughs> so, so there was some prep. That's great. <laughs> uh, Borges says that hell is an illogical mess of an idea used mostly for propaganda. Its main logical problem is this, because a human life is finite, there are a finite number of sins one can commit. 
Because a human's power is finite, there is a finite power to the evil that he can perform. Therefore, an infinity long and powerful punishment is always disproportionate because man can never earn it. If God is truly all loving and all knowing, he would not commit such a mathematical error. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell only works if you don't think about it too much. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I was raised Catholic, so you know, you could go to hell for not actually doing a sin, but just thinking about it and then mm -hmm. dying before you had a chance to be absolved from that sin. Wow. So you're just a tiny child, basically pretty sure you're going to go to hell, maybe purgatory. Because human nature, every thought runs through your head at one point, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so... It's it's the it's acting on these things that separates us from <laughs> from being animals, but uh, yeah. So it's a really great place. The Catholic Church is a great place to make comedians because <laughs> you're just <laughs> racked with guilt, right? As a and, tiny you're, child. and you're obsessed with exposing truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the idea about the the finite and the infinite being disproportional. Yeah. Also, um, is he suggesting that there is an afterlife? I mean, that just seems... Well, I, I think he's saying that if there is an afterlife, that there is no hell. It's it's always fascinating to me the differences in when I talk to, to Catholics, because I was raised religious Jewish, and, and like we didn't have a concept of hell. There, we have something that's, that's like a cleansing process that can only take 12 months, so it's not infinite. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when when the Jew dies, uh, people say Kaddish for him. You know, and yeah, 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 yes, and they only say it for eleven months because twelve months would be for Hitler. Like the very worst person in the world could, could would take twelve months right. to cleanse. Sure. So for a regular person, uh, we're like for sure eleven months covers it. He's a good guy. He maybe knock off at six months. <laughs> he's for really, eleven months, we're basically saying spare this guy. Spare After this guy. that, we know he's okay. Yeah. So there is no infinite hell, uh, and even what we have as hell is only just a, a discomfort, a cleansing process of the soul. So are you are you burning in a fire? Or? Um, I like to think of it like a, an acid wash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so where do you go now after the acid wash? Is there the Florida? Equivalent? You go Florida, of course. Is there? Um, is there like purgatory and heaven or is it just heaven? No, there's... Does this, this atonement it's, for... It's, it's just then, another world. It's just another world. It's just another world. There's an idea that there's seven worlds and right. uh, there are different levels of impurity in the different worlds and we're on the lowest world. Then you move up to the next world, which is a little more pure. Okay. And... Uh, Where is this world? Uh it's it's a different realm. It's a different universe. Okay. It's a different everything. This actually holds more water to me than than living in the earth with devils, right? There's no devil or in Judaism. up in the sky. I like this idea that there's this this there different, are different planes. There's different realms that 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 could actually exist, and you could get bumped <laughs> down to this one again if you oh, didn't really? do it right. Yeah. So it's reincarnation. There's a lot of reincarnation. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize like, that. Yeah, I remember learning that most. People that are here right now are on their second or third time. Around. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're just not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is uh, uh, this is all new to me. Uh, yeah. See, I'm 53. So yeah, I mean, it's what's the last one though? It sounds like a pyramid scheme. What's the last one? Does Elrond <laughs> Hubbard take you out on the yacht, or where do you go? Uh, well, then there's just different higher levels of of closeness to to God. To God. Yeah. So then towards the end, it's just you just. But then there's really also the, the understanding that there is no real separation between us and God. Right. It's just one energy. But that's another thought that's that's a pretty good thought that that you're connected. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad I, Oh I no, mean, I like it. I like that too. My higher power is reality. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when I'm spinning out, I'm not in reality. Like describe what spinning out is for you. Well, when I'm living in fear, when I'm thinking that I'm not enough, or this is gonna, the horrible things are gonna happen, or that I'm a failure, or I, I, I'm disappointing people, or all these things. When I can stop and go, oh, you know, the equivalent of praying or whatever, I say, well, let me look at reality. That's my equivalent. Let me talk to God. Let me, let me look at reality. Reality is, it's like people aren't gonna hate you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you actually showed up, and and sometimes there's so much. Uh, things that I perceive as as injustice, you know, when someone dies early or there's a tragedy or all, all that kind of stuff, I can go, well, what's reality? And the reality of it is, is yeah, it is. It's really uneven. And again, and then, then it shifts back and I have gratitude in my life. I don't practice this all the time, but reality is enough of a higher power for me. And I'm not... I used to identify as an atheist, but now I identify as an agnostic because, you know, science is based on hypothesis, proving hypothesis correct. So I'm not going to rule out that there might not be a higher being or meaning or because that flies in the face of science. You're sliding towards the God side. I'm going to say agnostic. I I, I, I guess, yeah, (laughs) I guess I am, which is which is weird. Um, but I think it's because there's so much zealots in the atheist movement that really remind me of Christian zealots that I don't like. Right. <laughs> so I'd rather just go say I'm agnostic. It's less of a movement, but but as more people become agnostic, I feel like it's really catching on. There'll be a big agnostic movement. A big agnostic movement, but that's that's at least your brain's open, you know. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. I just did a, one of these with Brian Regan, mm-hmm. who also t- said he recently became agnostic from, oh, really? from the other That's side. That's fascinating. He went from being more of a God believer oh. to being more agnostic. And uh, I was telling him, like, we, we had a pretty good back and forth about uh, agnostic dating sites where people <laughs> just can't commit. <laughs> well, he, uh, you know, he's a super talented guy. And you would see our acts, they're on the opposite side of the world. But I, I have... Uh, I have nothing but respect for him. I think he's just such a, a decent, good man, you know? Oh, I, I thought there was more to no, that. I no, no, he's just, he's just done a few things that I'll keep, uh, I'll, I'll let them remain anonymous That I because he asked for that. But I just thought, he, I just think he's oh. a real stand-up guy. I didn't even know when I brought him up. No, no, I just really admire him. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he just got a weird shout out. Yeah, I, I like the the not knowing part of it all. I, I I tend to be I'm a God believer. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like if there's agnostic God believers and there's agnostic atheists and if there's just agnostic agnostics. Right. But uh, 
I like, I like the constant questioning. I like the constantly, and your brain can play so many tricks on you. It's amazing. Like you were talking about like the spiraling out and how you think um, everybody hates you or everybody's mad at you. And I just know that so many times I'm like completely off the mark from reality. Yeah. And I was thinking about it today. I was just like, man, I wonder if I, if I could go back to like all those younger me's and just kind of be like, no, 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 this is what's really going on. Like, where would I be now? You well, know? last night I witnessed something that was so meta. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was beautiful. Uh, do you know Daniel Johnston, the, yeah. the singer, right, songwriter? Um, so Daniel was sitting in a theater. We were watching clips of him from. 25 years ago mm-hmm. and he hadn't seen the clips and his mic was on and there's daniel and he's talking about how how the devil's winning the war that rages with him there's daniel saying that it's the end of times and that you have to get right with god and saying all this stuff and he's certainly met it and he's very passionate while he's saying these things on this thing that we're watching on screen and daniel's got his mic and he goes Daniel, uh, it's, this is the future. Everything's okay. The world didn't end. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great moment. Yeah, because I was watching it, and in, in this clip, he clearly was having a manic episode. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, I was like, well, this is somewhat dangerous to be presenting a person with footage that he hadn't seen and it ended up being really beautiful it was really so sweet it was great it was it was genius and the 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 thing about daniel johnson that i really love is that um you know there's certainly obviously this real naive uh, uh approach to how he makes his art or his music but at the end of the day there's also uh he is aware you know to, to an extent obviously what he said then was aware so it's not and I do believe his art is valid. I don't think it's it's it's. I don't consider his music or art the ramblings of somebody who's not stable. I, there's a there's a hurt in him that comes out in his songwriting and in his paintings that that um, I connect with. You know, even if he was rambling on unstable, I'd still consider it valid. I mean. Yeah, but I but but the difference I think between him and someone who's actually lost disconnect with reality is 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 Daniel is forming thoughts and saying this is how I see the world, you know. And sometimes he would have flights where he clearly was, like I said, in a manic state. But then he'd have these flights where uh, they're not flights; they're very thought out. Uh, ideas and tunes and melodies and and I don't know. I yeah, just it, I it's, see what you mean. You know, it's I question and then I just stopped. I was sitting in the audience and I was questioning. <laughs> like a little part of me was going, "Man, you don't get it." <laughs> Looking at the people in the audience, and then I said, "You know what? You're what? You, that's stop that. That you, you're not here with an open heart. You know, you're judging, and that's ridiculous." So. So it was a really wonderful th- thing. What you know, if there's a hell, it would have to be finite. Um, that's what uh, Jorge is saying here. That's what Jorge is saying. Jorge is saying if there's, if there's a hell, 
It couldn't be limitless because we're we're not limitless. Yeah. So we, we, well, but you know, I think when I when I was a kid, I used to think hell would be becoming heaven and hell would be coming fully aware of of how you, your actions really did affect other people. If you really were suddenly attuned to all of that. And if you had lived a decent life, you would, mm. you would be comfortable. But if you hadn't, you, you would be in a lot of pain. It's like um, Adam Crowley, I remember him talking about if, if you could leave a, a mini recorder on a table, that, let's say you're at a, a restaurant having lunch, and then you got up and walked away and left a mini pen recorder, and then you could hear what people said, you would, you would want to kill yourself. It doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> <laughs> when you left the table, people yeah. would be, you know, and uh, so I guess that was my perception. You know, what would be on that mini recorder? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot, and I also, when I was telling you earlier today, I was thinking about going back to the younger me and pointing out like how off the mark from reality I was here and there and there. And then I thought maybe I'm off the mark right now. Yeah, of course. Like, how do I know I'm even? Well, I think I think of 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 how Robin's remembered. And the way I remember them and how that's just. And then I also try to not make his memories in my life just be stories to to kind of constantly unearth new memories that I remember of him and my effort to keep him alive on a personal level, you know. Uh, one that I just had was because my birthday's coming up. I remember when I turned 50, he lives in San Francisco. He calls me up. He wishes me happy birthday. And then I walk into my house and he's on the phone in my living room. <laughs> he let me think that he was up in San Francisco and he had flown down and surprised me. Wow. So those are the memories that I'll always, you know, I, I try to keep them alive and not stories, but the uh, but feelings. Yeah. That's incredible you had that friendship. That's just like a kind of people don't have friendships like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's the other thing, you know, it's like I often felt like I was never going to recover from his loss. Like I thought um it was like losing an arm and I'd just learn how to live without having an arm, but I've 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 definitely come through the other side and now I'm starting to process it all. And um um, I'm trying to process it through the things I, I make. Do you remember the first time you met Robin? Sure, sure, of course. I mean, he was a huge star then. I was 19. I was in a comedy club. I was at where uh, the Comedy Connection was uh, originally. And the guy who ran the club was like, Robin Williams is coming. He goes, go in the kitchen. I don't want him to see you. <laughs> and Because I was like, I had all this mascara on and... <laughs> <laughs> and I was in a leisure suit. And so I just stood in this kitchen. And then all of a sudden he walks into the kitchen. And I'm just, <laughs> I wouldn't even look at him. And he's like, what are, you, what are you doing in the kitchen? And I was like, well, they told me you were coming. I didn't want to. <laughs> Why didn't they want you to meet me? I go, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was really weird. So then maybe nine, ten months after that, I was out in San Francisco opening for Paula Poundstone and he would start coming to my shows. He's still, and the character was full bore, you know, it was full bore rage and 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 I was in that persona and uh, and 
he, I think he thought I was gonna be mean or something, because so, I'd hear him laughing in the back of the club, and then he wouldn't say hi. And then, oddly enough, uh, I remember the night we first started talking and hanging out all night. We were watching, um, we were watching that twenty fifth Motown special where Michael Jackson moonwalked. Uh-huh. My God, is that thirty years ago? It would have to be. And um, yeah, we were just watching this, and and that that was weird. That that was one of the things we. That's how we first started talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, what were your reactions? I don't remember what we were thinking, but we were like, oh, yeah, we thought it was crazy. You know, yeah. nobody had seen that. You right. know, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was all weird. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll go back to Jorge. I'll tell you a little more about him. Jorge Francisco Isidoro Luis Borges was an Argentine short story writer. He was an essayist, he was a poet, and a translator. He was a key figure in Spanish language literature. His best known books are Ficones, which is fictions, and El Alf, the Alf. <laughs> he wrote Alf? He wrote Alf. Oh, I thought that was Jerry Stahl. <laughs> no, that was just a spinoff on, on Borges. It was published in the 1940s. They are compilations of short stories interconnected by common themes, including dreams, labyrinths, libraries, mirrors, fictional writers, philosophy, and religion. Borges's works have contributed to philosophical literature and the fantasy genre. Critique Angel Flores, the first to use the term magical realism to define a genre that reacted against the dominant realism and naturalism of the 19th century, considers the beginning of the movement to be the release of Borges's A Universal History of Infamy. However, some critics would consider Borges to be a predecessor and not actually a magical realist. His late poems dialogue with such cultural figures as Spinoza, Camillos, and I'm probably saying that wrong, Camillos, and Virgil. Enough. What you got out of that? I uh, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I get out of that? They they said that he was cre- he created the term, and then they tried to take it away, or he right. he created the, the the form. I think they're saying he created the genre. Ah, by having. Oh no, he, he used the term. The term magical realism. Well, I first to use it. I'm drawn to magical realism. You know, I think that's 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 what. Uh, interests me um i think all storytelling has it outside of doing a documentary but because you're always saying what if these things happened mm-hmm. you know and and uh you're not saying well this is the truth and and even when you go back and you make a movie that's that's supposed to be based on reality you're still changing the truth but if he he he, he was it the fact that he was mitch mixing genres and having folks that were from different time periods talking to each other that they thought that? Um, Well, I don't know anything more than what I've read so far. I could keep going if you want. Sure. In 1914, Borges' family moved to Switzerland, where he studied at Le Collège de Genève. The family traveled widely in Europe, including stays in Spain. On his return to Argentina in 1921, Borges began publishing his poems and essays in surrealist literary journals. He also worked as a librarian and public lecturer. 
1955, he was appointed to director of the National Public Library and professor of English literature at the University of Buenos Aires. He became completely blind by the age of 55. As he never learned Braille, he became unable to read. Wow, that's that's harsh. For a writer? For a writer, yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't have to read other people's things. And there wasn't audible back then. Either. Yeah, <laughs> but he could just keep writing. Yeah. Scholars have suggested that his progressive blindness helped him create innovative literary symbols through imagination. In 1961, he came to international attention when he received his first Formentor Prize, uh, which he shared with Samuel Beckett in 1971. He won the Jerusalem Prize. His work was translated and published widely in the United States and in Europe. Borges himself was fluent in several languages. He dedicated his final work, The Conspirators, to the city of Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, I started reading that like it was going to be a Spanish word, but it was just The Conspirators. <laughs> the Conspirators. <laughs> Uh, his international reputation was consolidated in the 1960s, aided by his works being available in English, by the Latin American boom, and by the success of Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. Writer and essayist J.M. Coetze, Coetze said of him, he more than anyone renovated the language of fiction and thus opened the way to a remarkable generation of Spanish-American novelists. That's all I've got. Well, so clearly he, he was a bit of a surrealist if he was up there compared to Beckett and uh, that he dabbled in magical realism. Or this is the guy, for better or worse, who gave us Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I've learned today. Um, I have a paragraph uh, from him. Would you mind uh, reading it? Sure. I now consider hell. The dictionary tells us that hell is dogma, and the Christian church did not invent these brutalities. It implies that Christianity attracts all the truths it finds in false religions. I'm not referring to the simplistic mythology of dung, roasters, fire, and tongs. I'm speaking eternal punishment for the wicked. Gibbon writes that the two vulgar ingredients of fire and darkness are sufficient to create a sensation of pain that can be exaggerated infinitely by the idea of duration without end. This proves that the creation of infernos is easy. The attribute of eternity is horrifying. Continuity, the fact that the divine persecution lacks intervals, that in hell there is no rest, is even more horrifying. But imagining it is impossible. Writers who expound on hell dishonor their imagination and their decency. I like the dishonoring of the imagination. Wow. I think so what he's saying is that there can't be hell if you're not given coffee breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and the coffee breaks themselves might be a, a, a hell in themselves. But here's the thing that is true. Like if you were in uh, this infinite torture and you just, it's constant without a break where you go, <sighs> oh, and it's oh, not torture. Oh. And then they go back. Yeah, it's just, you're just. It's just a different. It's just this reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just constant pain that would just, uh, I guess, I don't know if you get, even if you don't get used to it, it'd just be where you, what, what, what life is, you know, it wouldn't be anything other than just this thing. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what modern life is. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about how, like, it seems like you're having a breather now from, yeah. <laughs> from like the tortured bobcat of, of, the, of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> 
That's true. I mean, that's and that's storytelling. You know, if if you if you pack the ninety minutes only with, uh, it has to ebb and flow. There's there. It's the the rhythm of telling a story. The rhythm of of a punchline. The rhythm of of making people laugh or cry or or any feel anything. You know, you there has to be the absence uh, in the story so people can fill it in with their head. And once they fill it in, then they're engaged. And if you don't. If you're not asking them to engage and and try to second guess what's going on and try to figure it out, they're not. That's why I think like I go to movies now and and it sounds like an old guy saying get off my lawn, but th- th- there's this assault of imagery that doesn't give my brain. I think if you were raised in, in video games and things, that doesn't doesn't give me a chance to comprehend what I'm watching. It comes at such an assault that I don't know if I, I think other people are assimilating it and it's working for them. It just doesn't for me. I'm just questioning if there's storytelling going on. Well, are you, do you go see them often? Are you going there? No, I do. Go, like, no, yeah. I don't go there to be mad. Like what will happen is someone say, you should see it. It's not that bad. And then I'll see it and I go, Oh, I didn't get this. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there, it's just a lot of flashy flashing lights and, and, and explosions more yeah. or less. Yeah, and it's, it makes left. sense that why it does well uh, all around the world. It it's, makes perfect. Nobody sense. has the attention span anymore. It's <laughs> yeah. like you know, it's like a Snapchat world now. So yeah. it's like you see things and they're gone, and and that's kind of like you know going <laughs> going back to the memory. I don't think anybody's going to be remembered. No, no, not unless <laughs> not unless I get blown up. Even then, like even pe- then, pe- people will forget everything. I don't think this, like the next generation's memory is just gonna be like you know. Yeah, they I won't think we're have a memory. Ourselves to yeah. not have a memory. Yeah, but we don't. I don't need to. I can, I can look it up on my iPhone. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really just like creating things and they evaporate. And like I was thinking about that with Snapchat. Like Snapchat and a, and a movie are kind of the same thing. If you look at how much money and time and work and people go into a movie. And then there's like a billion movies on Netflix that I don't even like I don't even right. get to scroll past right. them. Right. And it's like that's like that's years and hopes and dreams of people's lives. Right. It may as well just be a Snapchat photo that that dissolved a few yeah. seconds later. Well, it's interesting because there was an anxiety that we used to have when we go into a, a video store and couldn't and I wouldn't walk out with a title because it was so overwhelming. I don't think on um, the way I watch stuff now when I go to Netflix, I I guess I do eventually pick out something. That's the difference, mm-hmm. I guess. Before, I, I would actually get... Uh, uh, <laughs> I would flip out and not go. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of stuff. Um, and it's not because I'm a snob. It's um, partially... I, I just... You know, I get it. Like, I'll watch a couple episodes or something, and I go, "Oh, this is really well done," but I just won't get hooked in. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm an elitist. It's just uh, once I see how it's done, I go, "Oh, this is cool." And and you already know the trick. Yeah, or just I could say, "Oh, I get it." And then there's shows that aren't f- made for me. You know, right? It would be weird if I couldn't wait for the next Broad City <laughs> as a 53 year old dude. <laughs> 
I'm laughing and at the same time thinking, man, I like Broad City. But oh, really? Like yeah. I watch it and I and I laughed and everything, but I also felt like it's a little creepy that I'm watching this. Yeah, <laughs> like well. like I felt like this old dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was too. It wasn't offensive. It was more like, oh, this is really personal, uh-huh. and uh, and um, and uh, I don't I don't think Grandpa should be watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's see the it's quotes. So, it's so funny that you see yourself as this old man. And well, I do, and then I, I I joke about it, and then I see myself, and I go, "Wow, you're old." But but the people but, I work with and the, my friends are a lot of them are much younger than me, and the ideas that interest me, yeah, it's weird. But I didn't think of you as an old person until you kept insisting that you were one. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess he is old." Well, I'm just kind of pissed about that you know i've kind of dialed in what i want to do and now i'm going oh there's a finite amount of time left you know what else though i think you were so huge at one point yeah that it almost feels like you lived a whole life that i think there are guys your age who have kind of had an even kill existence up until now or they feel a lot younger yeah but you that's true and then there are guys who blew up huge and they're still like riding high on top but you've lived like three realities. You well, you know, it's it's interesting. I was, um, I was directing, you know, I work on Mark Maron's show. I direct uh, a lot of the episodes. And and I did one with um, uh, Ray Romano. And, uh, I, you know, there was a time in my life I'd look at Ray's life and what he had and thought, well, why, you know, I should have done a sitcom or I should have figured it out or I... Or I wonder if I could have ever done that and, you know, all those kind of things. But we were sitting there in between setups in this garage, just him and I, and I was talking to him. And and we were talking about the same kind of things. That, mm-hmm. And and it was just like, in, in a good way, and not that his life is not a good life, but it was like, oh, I didn't miss anything. It was kind of cool. Because he was just going, you know, what are you up to now? I go, well, I make these movies. And, oh, you know, and he was talking to me about my movies. And it was just funny. It was like... Um, it neither, didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Neither of us were any happier, and both of us were interested in making stuff. Yeah. You, know? I, I, you know, I was really hoping he would be a jerk. You know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, everybody just says nice things about the guy. And then, and then he, I was like, oh, come on. And then, and then he was he was a really good guy. Uh, he was, so let's right. take a look at quotes, okay? Yeah, let's do it. To make punishment eternal is to make evil eternal. God cannot will that eternity for his universe. I think it's kind of what we were saying before. Like, without good, there is no bad. So if there's no end to evil... God cannot will that eternity for his universe. So God will not say there will be evil for the rest of time. You know, the, and I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just having a hard time wrapping my brain around his, he, it seems like he's wrestling with God. He wants there to be a God. He just doesn't want there to be a hell. That or, seems I to think me. he wants there to be more consistency. <laughs> <laughs> he wants hell to be... But, but, but I think the argument against him from a God-believer's point of view is that God controls time. So whatever is infinite and whatever is finite would be up to God. So just because right. you can't understand it doesn't mean God can't do it, because if God is God, then why can't God do that? You just have a limited understanding of of time. Right. And if God created time, then he can 
bend it like silly putty however he wants, and it wouldn't make a difference. Eternal punishment proves that there is no venial sin. All faults are unpardonable. So a venial and mortal sin. Do you know those terms? I only know mortal. What's a venial? A venial uh, is one that you can um, you can erase. <laughs> you can uh-huh. say, "Oh, I'm sorry," but a mortal that that's 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 in yeah the, yeah you can't you're locked in yeah you can't you're going to hell. <laughs> so there's nothing like that in Judaism either. <laughs> you can't. They're different. There's no JV varsity sin. No, I mean as long as you exist, you can <laughs> repent. Well, that's not bad. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. The only point to, to be here, here is is because you can you can improve. Is because you can grow, and you wouldn't be here if it was too. Getting a too whole new idea on uh, on on the, on the faith of uh, you know I I always assumed that it was there it was more doomsday. It seems like Christianity is a little more uh, like, doomsday yeah, than uh, than Judaism. Judaism, yeah. You know, I always wind up talking about Judaism. I guess it's because it's a big part. But that's of who you are. Who I mean, I that's yeah, yeah. But I, I remember, you know, every time I go into one of these, I'm like, I don't need to bring up Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's how you perceive the world, I right? Mean, you it's know, a, it's, it's it, no matter how there. what you take away from it now, or or you know, but that's that's. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess Christianity is just is more droopy dog, you know. It's like it'll never work, you know. <laughs> that's why it gets it's a little nerve wracking when 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 people believe in the ends of times get close to the button, you know. When mm-hmm. an elected official believes that the we're in the end days that's terrifying it's also pretty cool that with all the crazy different beliefs out there that the world is still yeah like there's some weird balance beyond you know everybody has all these such extreme different ways of seeing the world and every now and then somebody gets to navigate the ship with a different belief and somehow we're still we're still floating, we haven't yeah i think it is kind of uh it's it's dangerous when people believe their god is mad at an entire you know uh faith ideology government group of people that's not only dangerous that's really well it's beyond danger you know that that's that's a um projection i think yeah it's just people projecting god into well we don't like you so god doesn't like you yeah and also it's just you know it's uh, most human interactions are you know based on some sort of fear you know am i going to be liked am i going to get hurt am i going to get killed yeah <laughs> you know and when you're on stage and you get to that point where you're genuinely ad-libbing and you there is no you're not even sure where the end of this thought's going and it and it and it and it lands that's there's nothing that can that's the that's and I don't, you know, that doesn't happen every time I go on stage. But when that does happen, then there's nothing like that, you know, to be talking out of your ass, and all of a sudden, it, not only does it, not only does it get a laugh, but it actually makes sense, you know. Yeah. That, that's that's so so for someone who says he's an ag- agnostic, agnostic, I I think that sometimes when those ideas happen, I I feel like they almost already exist, and I'm just grabbing them and and pulling them down. You're tapping into the cosmos. Or maybe it was already even in my head. 
Yeah. On how religion is used for political manipulation, there is the concept that there is the destroyer of all others. I speak not of evil, whose limit is that of ethics. I speak of the infinite. And we were just talking about that. And we beat him to the punch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'd be interested to see what his what his um what his essays are because it seems like as a philosopher he's mostly remembered because he questioned the existence of hell. I think I don't know if this is the only thing he's remembered for if this is that's just what, the piece that but I But this like is what this is what his yeah okay. Yeah. That's that's the other thing when I when I it do goes these, through the I, Alex filter. It goes through the Alex filter. This could just be like one of many different things. <laughs> he could have just he could have had a couple beers in him. Yeah, yeah. he just might have picked this piece because it worked with the fire. With the fire. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever go back on the Tonight Show after that? Yeah, actually, I was back on the following week. I did a skit for them, but <laughs> it's interesting. Like in the Zygist, you know, I, when I'm ego surfing on the internet, it'll say that I was banned from the Tonight Show. I was like, no, I, I wasn't. I think you wanted me to be. Maybe it's or, just a better story like that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just kind of interesting, though. It's just, you know, if uh, the internet's had me married to people I haven't been married to, and <laughs> it's I mean, so it's interesting. It's nice to be gossiped about, I guess, versus not being. But again, it, it, we went full circle on how you're going to be remembered, and you're powerless over that, so you should have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, just I, I don't know what it's like to be at that level of fame where people are like, you know what? He's married to this woman. Yeah. <laughs> they just well, but put, it's, put it together for you. It's, you know, Tom Kenny said, you have all the um, all the pitfalls of success and not a lot of the benefits, <laughs> which is not true. But it was just, it's just sometimes, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a funny line anyway. It, but it's true to an extent, but, but, it, but I'm, but I'm very happy uh, creating stuff, working stuff, paying my bills and um, connecting with a, a new audience, you know, not just the, the, I'm connecting, you know, when I play rock clubs, it's much younger folks that come out and they're, you know, a lot of them weren't even born when I was <laughs> a big deal. So, mm-hmm. so I do see things turning and it's not as, uh, it's yeah. not as uh, depressing as I make it sound. I think what'll happen is you'll get more and more vulnerable and open with people and, and the, and they'll get to know the real you. And as soon as they expect that, you'll come back out screaming. Yeah, I think so. The, the other <laughs> night I did that at Crab Apples. I was just like, I never do the voice. And I was like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do the voice because <laughs> I'll hide behind it. It's been a pleasure having thank you here. You, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Cool. That's our season. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks again to Bobcat Goldthwaite for being on the show. Thanks, of course, again to Logan Heftel for mastering the audio and Alex Fasello for getting us the philosophers. Please write into the comical at yahoo.com and say hello. It's the end of the season. It's the best time to say hi. Let me know what's going on. Check in if you've already written in. And if you've never written in, introduce yourself. Please make a donation. Go to moderndayphilosophers.net and there's a donate button there. 
that keeps this ship fueled, this train rolling, this boat from being docked. You get it. Please make a donation. And, uh, and of course, uh, spread the word. Tell everyone you know. Tell everyone you don't know. Talk to your mailman. Talk to the guy at the pharmacy. Tell them about the show. Please, spread the word. Don't be stingy with the show. Share it with everybody. Just, you know, walk down the street and stop everybody. Like, I used to flyer for shows in Times Square where you hand out flyers to everybody, and it's not comfortable, but you, you got to get the, the stage time. So, you know, you walk down the, the street, and whoever you pass, you say, Hey, uh, have you ever heard of the Modern Day Philosophers podcast? We're really trying to grow this thing. Come on. So, please, do that, and... Be well. Take care of yourselves. It can be crazy out there. Be good to yourselves. I'll uh, look forward to you guys tuning into the wrap-up show. Oh, I've got some goodies in the wrap-up show. Somebody sent in audio of Patrice O'Neill uh, and I from back in the day on Comical Radio when I defend Al Lubell. If you heard the Al Lubell episode, I talk about it. Somebody sent me that clip. I'm going to put a little piece of that into the wrap-up show. I haven't heard it in years. Uh, but if you heard the Alubella episode, you know what I'm talking about. Should be should be interesting. And I'm going to read some fan emails that were sent in recently, some real nice ones. And if you send in some now, yours could get read. Um, also, you know, iTunes. Go on the iTunes and leave a nice comment. Five stars. That keeps this thing visible. Leave a nice comment. It's the end of the season. Say, hey, what a great season. Something like that. Be well and... You'll be hearing from me and Alex Pacella with the wrap-up show in just a little while. Bye-bye.